everyone. Welcome back to Capitalize Your Fridays. I'm Taylor Dennis, Senior Wealth Design Specialist and VP of Altius Financial. And this is Michael Williams. I'm uh, the founder of Altius Financial. And today we're wanting to dive into a discussion about the recent uh, supply chain struggles over the last couple of years with COVID and so forth. And what disruptors we believe are playing a key role in the in our listeners' current local and global buying experience. Taylor, how about if you start us off with uh, our, our disclaimer first? Yeah, I can handle that. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of investment advice or financial planning. No advisor-client relationship is formed by the broadcasting of this episode or your listening of what we say. The use of this information or any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content in this podcast is not meant as a substitute for professional financial advice. If you're needing specific financial advice for your situation, please reach out to your certified financial planner. Or if you're interested in learning more about our firm, our people, or our philosophy, feel free to reach out to us through our website, which is altiusfinancial.com, or contact us directly by email at taylor at altiusfinancial.com or Michael at altiusfinancial.com. Just so you're aware, that is A-L-T-I-U-S financial.com. So what is up with this current supply chain thing? I know I know you rate, wrote a uh, uh, one of your uh, Taylor's Take um, segments for a recent newsletter. Um, what are your thoughts about what's going on right now as far as the supply chain, quote unquote, supply chain issues that we're all dealing with? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I think it's a good reminder for our listeners who may be interested in maybe reading one of our newsletters to actually just to reach out to us and just see if we can send you an email and send that over to you. We also do have it on our website. So if you go into the resources tab, it's in the newsletters sub tab. And so we hope that you guys will maybe tune into our newsletters as well. But yeah, back to the topic for today, though. I do think it's helpful to note that it seems like the supply chain concerns aren't really a new issue, but it's not really something that's going away either. It's kind of been something that's since been kind of a widespread concern since the start of COVID. Yeah, and I think it's it's uh, important to note that um, supply chains, it's a complicated concept and it's, it is uh, a result of a very complex modern division of labor economy. You know, I, you mentioned that people should read our newsletter article and the article you wrote about it in, in ongoing read our newsletters. Hopefully they're sharing them. But I would also recommend a there's an essay out there. You can get it on uh, you can get it online. Just Google this essay called I Pencil. And it's the story of uh, how a pencil is made as told from the perspective of the pencil. And it's just talking about all the different steps that have to be that the or gone through to create a number two pencil. Um, and it's amazing. There's, there's materials that come from all over the world. There's all kinds of different people who are working on the pencil. Um, even as simple product, like a pencil becomes a very complex thing to get done, um, in mass. And, you know, and that's what we, we, you know, that's one of the great things about an economy right now is that we have the ability to, to get mass production. Uh, but it does require all kinds of complex chains, and that's what we mean by the supply chain. You know, we, and, and like you said, the, the whole COVID experience, the pandemic experience, along with some of the trade war talk that we've had over the last two or three years, um, that's complicated things. That's made it more difficult on these supply chains. It's disrupted things. 
Uh, people remember back early in 2020 when you couldn't go to the grocery store without seeing aisles cleared entirely. You couldn't get you know, toilet paper or whatever it is. Now, that's not yeah. been the case lately. But um, so what's what's your focus right now on supply chains as it relates to today? Yeah, so my focus for today is that, well, yeah, you may not see entire rows of grocery stores like completely cleared out for access. There's still a supply chain shortage. One of the big shortages you might have noticed are people who are trying to grow their families right now might notice that they go to the store and they're struggling to find baby formula. Um, so for those of you who are trying to figure out how to feed the growing American children or growing global children, it's it's kind of been a, a bit of a struggle this year. So is that something that you think is related to the whole supply chain uh, or just a specific case? You know, it's interesting because I I actually know personally, uh, I think it's, it wasn't an Abbott Labs that closed their, had to close their uh, baby formula plant in Michigan. I yeah. know personally, not it's not somebody I know closely, but I know personally the quality control person at that plant. Um, they have since, you know, uh, reopen that plant, but the government was saying that they had some kind of bacteria in the plant and that's why they shut that down. And so, you know, they couldn't make baby formula for a long time from there. Um, so that was kind of localized. And, and I, you know, I, I always uh, you want to look at root causes, you know, there, there's, there's a, a ban or there's protectionism that goes into the baby formula industry. You couldn't have baby formula that was manufactured in other countries. So that's, that's sort of an issue. Yeah. And I definitely agree. It's not like this is something that's affecting everyone. I mean, not everyone has children and not everyone has young children that need baby formula. But I mean, my personal experience was maybe to the extent of I'm married to someone who loves blue cheese olives. And every time we went to the olive oil shop, they'd say, oh, well, we have the olives, but we can't have the blue cheese olives because there's, I guess, the same formula that's a stabilizing agent in Blue cheese olives is also a stabilizing agent in baby formula. So obviously there's a logical result of where they're going to send that stabilizing agent to. It's not going to be to feed the blue cheese olives connoisseurs <laughs> of America. <laughs> um, but I think it, this is just kind of a small way of saying that there's there could be multiple impacts to any specific disruption in the supply chain. And I, I don't think it's limited to just what's going on with the baby formula. So what do you think are the key factors that you've noticed or learned about? So I took classes in supply chain in college, but I'm definitely not going to claim to be a supply chain expert in any way. I have found through my research, it seems like the main things that are impacting the current supply chain are a combination of labor shortages, global bottlenecks, shortage of warehouses, limited equipment, commodities, and a struggle to really accurately pinpoint what current consumer demand is. Well, so if you look at each one of those, you, I mean, my view is that uh, the key element is pricing and whether you have uh, you know, accurate pricing, which means market-based pricing, or whether there's, you know, you mentioned labor shortages. Well, there were labor shortages during COVID because of government action. And most of the things you mentioned, you know, whether it's the, the bottlenecks and, you know, commodity shortages, a lot of that was based upon uh, intrusion into market prices. But let's look at each one of those. Yeah. So looking at maybe labor, there's been a huge decrease in the workforce. I mean, if you needed to have your product go from one side of the country to another, or one side of the world to another, you can't transport that without having the employees that are going to do the transportation, the distribution, the sales. It really makes all of that 
difficult at best, I would say. Yeah. And, and again, some people were told they couldn't work, right? So that if you were, yeah. quote, non-essential, um, then you were taken out of the labor force and that would put a, put more stresses on other parts of the transportation chain. So that's part of what, what happened there. And when you talk about global bottlenecks, that's, you know, the people, the most visual uh, reminder of that is just seeing all these large cargo ships uh, off the coast of uh Big ports and, for example, in, in California, you know, out where you're at, the Los Angeles port is one of the, the major clearing ports in the world for lots of products that, are, that come in from, from you know, Pacific countries. Uh, um, and those bottlenecks were very visual. And it's partly, again, increasingly expensive shipping containers were uh, you know, bottlenecked at those ports trying to navigate to the land. And once goods make their way into the U.S., you know, they're, they're met with warehouse shortages. And, you know, I mentioned before multiple times the Jones Act, where, which doesn't allow foreign country companies to transport uh, goods within our country, which is another protectionist measure. That's, that's part of the problem is that you have those kinds of intrusions into the marketplace and, and the, that creates more problems. Yeah. So we're paying more just because it has to be U.S. transportation vehicles. Right. And, and it's, you know, it's a political football. They're trying to say we're protecting uh, U.S. longshoremen or U.S. transportation or U.S. rail workers, um, their jobs. But that means we're probably paying a lot more for for the same kind of service that could be done in a less expensive way. Yeah. So what about equipment and commodities? I mean, I think you probably have a better a better feel for what is going on in the commodity space. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, whenever you have um, slowdown of demand, that is, and this goes back to the second, you know, the, the next one you had mentioned, you have slowdown of demand, which was forced by by the COVID shutdowns. Then it's very difficult for business people to to plan in the future and say, okay, well, should we keep producing this commodity or will we have a glut of it? Um, and so it's hard to predict. And com- all commodities were affected by that. And one of the things that we did, you know, we we really clamped down on demand. Uh, and that means that the supply that was there was going to go down in price. But we also um, increased the kind of money flow because we were you know, trying to compensate people for being laid off, you know, unemployment and so forth. PPP money, all those kinds of things increased more stimulus into the economy and that increased the prices. So it, it's very difficult, again, for uh, producers of commodities to predict you know, what's the supply going to be and what is their demand uh, dynamic going to be. And that caused you know, uh, a difficulty in planning. So, uh, and, and specifically with regard to, to semiconductor chips, those had some weather related issues, surprisingly, drought related issues around the world. Um, but also uh, there's the, the issue of those are considered to be strategic, you know, strategic with regard to national defense. You know, if you're a chip manufacturer and you're making specialized chips, um, maybe at least this is the argument. I don't quite buy it, but this is the argument is that those should all be manufactured in the U.S. because they have that kind of sensitivity to our national defense. Um, you know, one of the problems is that protectionists, whether they're right wing or left wing or whatever, if they're trying to protect their industry, a lot of times they'll raise that flag up of saying, well, this is crucial or vital for national defense and and but that'll cause its own ripple effect in the supply chain. Yeah. So by people saying that we'll have more secure 
chips, if we're making them at home or here, they're just creating higher costs to the, the end consumer anyways. Likely. And that's, and that's definitely been noticed most heavily in technology. Lots of uh, chip shortages in, in automobile manufacturing. And, and most people have recognized the cost of autos going up, in, including used cars. Uh, certain, certain kinds, models of uh, used cars have been really going up in price. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you can almost buy a used car for more than you could buy a new car for a couple of years back. Yeah, absolutely. Been crazy. You kind of touched on consumer demand already, but I did kind of want to add that there has been kind of a shift in consumers' desires to maybe start getting out of the house and traveling and getting back to um, doing things maybe less COVID-friendly, stay-at-home type personality-wise. And so we have noticed from the consumer side that maybe you might find those types of goods on sale because they were maybe purchased in bulk during a previous time to accommodate for the demand assumptions. And then that's kind of been a transition yeah. of what would be sold. That whole process of shutting down the economy artificially during COVID affected lots of companies. I mean, one of the most interesting ones to me was I remember people uh, asking me about Peloton, you know, the, the stay at home bike training thing with video and, and great classes and, and lots of people who were working from home decided to get a Peloton and that created more demand for Pelotons and therefore the price of Peloton shot up, right? Mm-hmm. But once the economy was sort of opened back up, then people are like, ah, you know, I want to go back to the gym or I'll take a class, a spin class instead of sitting on my bike, my Peloton bike at home. Now yeah. the price of Peloton stock is cratered and, you know, the, the, you know, it's hard to give Peloton bikes away. So that affects the supply chain and consumer demand for those kinds of products as well. You know, when you, when you say, okay, we're going to be, here's how we're going to operate. We're going to operate from home. Well, then you have lots of demand for certain kinds of things, but then you change that and all of a sudden the demand changes for that for that kind of product as well. Yeah. And this might be a bit of a rabbit hole, but it's also interesting to see um, a lot of companies are trying to continue to transfer into maybe the service industry. So like a Peloton is something where you buy the Peloton bike, but you're paying each month or each year for that service. Um, yeah. It seems like a lot of companies have tried kind of nuzzling their way into, okay, maybe you bought my initial item for X dollars, but you're going to have to pay me every month or every year to continue to have that item. Um, and I'm curious to see how things will go in the future with how will the consumers maybe be acceptive or receptive or opposed to that type of industry. I think that's a really good point, Taylor, because it, it, it points out, you know, both the supply chain issues, but also, you know, an evolving trend in in uh, the way companies offer their services. They want to have you know have you buy something, which is you know a piece of capital in a sense. But then to to make sure it's it's smart and working and you know ongoing the ongoing subscription model is the ideal for businesses, so they can have you continue to pay them. Um, and it can be a really good thing for the consumer as well, right? You, you don't have necessarily a big upfront cost, but you're always paying to make sure you can use it. Um, and it's the integration of, of, you know, whatever it is that you're using a device or whatever, but having it be smarter, quote unquote, at least smarter. And therefore you need to pay every month to make sure that it's, it's updating and, and that you're getting the, the kind of value from it that you want. And, and that makes it easier for companies to plan, right? If they have ongoing revenue streams, that's a great business model. If you can have, you can say, okay, we know that we have some, so many subscribers who are going to pay us every month. 
um, for this service that's attached to our product, then we, we can plan better for the future. Yeah. So having a transitioning to more service model industries will be better for the supply chain in the long run because it'll help them plan better. Typically, although again, if you have disruptions, now there can be disruptions that are that are natural in a sense, you know, weather related or whatever it might be, or evolving changes in demand. But then if you have artificial disruptions, um, where you know a government's coming in, intruding in the price or in the way that something is delivered, that can really uh, screw things up. You know, prices are really crucial, and that's one of my big takeaways for this in, in studying supply chains is that you know. What you want is to have free flow of information, and the best way to do that, the way the best way is to have prices that are free, where where people say, "Well, this is really what I pay, what I want to pay for this right now." And if there's a disruption that's natural, you know, then okay, I have to pay more because uh, there's not as much supply right now. And that, but that price signal tells people uh, very quickly, tells producers very quickly to say, "Okay, now ramp up production because the price can go up, and I can make more money." So, Mike, what about the future of supply chains? Well, I think it's really important for people to know, you know, what what we mean by supply chains in the first place. I mean, it, it supply chains are a result of complicated, as I said before, modern division of labor economies where where people specialize. If you have a, a you know a very primitive economy, you don't really have a supply chain in the first place. You you basically have people scratching the dirt for agricultural, you know type of livings. You know, it's very simple. They, they try to, they don't have a lot of surplus. Uh, they just grow what they eat uh, and they're barely making it. And when you get a more complicated economy where you're, you're specializing, that's where supply chains are really important and market signals like prices are really important. So the future of supply chains is not necessarily looking good because we have more and more countries that are trying to do authoritarian management of industrial policy or management of their economies rather than letting free market prices reign. And the more you get anti-globalization, the worse supply chains will be. The more shortages there will be, the more maybe gluts there will be at times. You'll get too much and then you'll get, you know, uh, things having to go on sale. Um, so, you know, people should advocate, and this is you know part of my shtick, people should advocate always for uh, free market pricing, because that's where you get the, the continuous flow of, first of all, innovation, uh, but, but then efficiencies and, and people being able to get the, the best quality at the lowest prices. And, and that's what we should be advocating for. But in the world that we're in right now, where more countries are, are trying to manage their economy and be an anti-globalist, more nationalist, uh, then you get these kind of disruptions. Um, so the at least well, the short to midterm. Mike, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I kind of want to interrupt you because I have a, a relevant question. How does that apply yeah. in the current day and age where it seems like people don't want to buy stuff from Russia, but maybe they want to buy stuff from Ukraine, but maybe they don't want to buy stuff from China? I mean, how do you have a efficient global market when you're picking and choosing which countries not to purchase from? Well, when you when you can do that individually freely, then that that gives good market signals. But if you are told, well, you really can't buy from this country or that country. Now, there is the, there is an issue of sometimes uh, national security, but you know there aren't that many people who would buy from countries that produce crappy products at high prices. And so, if if you, if you get 
um, and you're not really buying from countries. That's the other point to make is you're not buying from China. You're buying from Chinese manufacturers or you're not buying from you, you know, Ukraine in the country. You're buying something from a Ukrainian, you know, a person or business that happens to be in Ukraine and is selling something to you. So the, the key is to, to not think so collectively and nationally. Now, I know that might piss some people off because they think, you know, buy American. But that isn't really how economies work. You know, people buy from from producers that they want to that they like and want to do business with who provide them value, which means usually can you give me a better price and can you give me a higher quality product or service? And that's the key thing is. And and again, if we have all these if we get into more nationalism and that's partly what's happened with Ukraine, the war in Ukraine, you know, uh, Putin and Russia were trying to make a nationalist power grab of a different country. And that really does disrupt lots of supply chains. And, and in general, we should be against that. We should be against wars. You know, we should be against uh, people trying to force and dominate other people. We should be for people being able to trade. And, and that's a simple way to put it. And it's maybe uh, difficult for people to understand, but that's what it boils down to is if you have a, a more civilized world where people are mutually agreeably being able to trade with each other rather than force each other, you end up having lots more prosperity. Okay. Do all these supply chain issues increase the risk of us having a recession in the U.S. or does that, is that not any kind of direct correlation? Well, I wouldn't say it's a direct correlation, but if you do have issues, you know, if you have disruptions in supply chains that can cause economic dislocation and ultimately, at least in some areas, uh, contraction. Uh, and if you have it in enough places, and again, I go back to, you know, we, we had massive disruption in our economy. So that means we're, we are likely to, and, and so we had the disruption of the shutdowns, but then we front loaded things and, and paid people not to work and paid people not to produce, but we gave them money to be able to buy stuff. So we front loaded a lot of, a lot of purchases, meaning we, you know, people were still buying things without producing things. So that means that we are likely to have uh, more, more likely in the next few years, at least, maybe even this year, uh, significant uh, contraction or recession. And that's just part of the that's part of the natural business cycle. But it's been exacerbated by some of the intrusions into the supply chains. OK, so what should be our advice to our listeners who are saying, well, OK, OK, that makes sense. But what does this mean to me or what should I do next? Um, what are our thoughts on? What, how is this going to maybe impact their portfolio or um, maybe their decisions in the next year, or few months? Well, they should always advocate. Again, this is maybe a little plug for my view of the world. They should advocate for more free pricing, uh, meaning free trade, um, the best pricing out there. And, and they obviously want to be good shoppers. Um, and certainly the things we, we've been taking this into account and looking at companies that we put or companies or investments or securities that we put in client portfolios, the ones that have better pricing power, the ones that have better sustainable long-term business models, um, and the ones that have less susceptibility to political manipulation. Uh, those are always better long-term investments, and that's what we're definitely focused on right now. Yeah. It might be helpful to note, you may be able to purchase items based on the supply chain difference. So you might find that, okay, it's in any given time, it's hard to purchase a, an item that's having a supply chain issue. So maybe you can't, you're not going to find quite as much um, like baby formula right now, but maybe you'll find 
um, more household goods. You might find a discount on household goods or loungewear or things that um, were maybe overproduced during peak COVID times. And now that we're in kind of this transition towards people wanting to get out of the house, you might find some of those goods are possibly more affordable. Yeah, I think it always creates opportunity. And, and people who are paying attention to retailers like Target or Kohl's realize that there was a glut of products. Um, and now, you know, they, they can maybe get really good pricing. Or, or going back to my previous example, if someone wanted a, a Peloton bike, it's a lot less expensive to buy a Peloton today than it was know, in the peak of COVID. So there's always opportunities if people will pay attention to those supply and demand dynamics. The supply chain itself is a complicated thing, but it does, again, present opportunities both from a consumer demand standpoint and getting bargain pricing on things, as well as investment opportunities. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for listening to our podcast. We do invite you to follow, like, friend, subscribe. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, all of our platforms are saved as Altius Financial. It's all in one word. You can see our logo as our profile picture. Um, we invite you to also follow along as we do our Terminology Tuesdays. We're posting a new finance terminology um, word each week. And so hopefully you can follow along with those and maybe learn something new uh, or even just have a refresher on some of your financial jargon. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, or even thoughts or ideas for future podcast episodes, please feel free to reach out directly to us, taylor at altiusfinancial.com or michael at altiusfinancial.com. Our website is www.altiusfinancial.com. So if you did want to read those newsletters that we referenced in the beginning of this episode, feel free to go check those out. Yeah. Have a fantastic Friday. Capitalize on your Friday and your weekend. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you soon. 